Tappers, what's up? It is the Thursday edition of the Daily Tap. Hope you are all all right. I know we had a crazy storm here in Wisconsin, so I hope you guys are doing okay. Hopefully, nothing bad happened. No power out. No none of that. Hopefully, you're you're all hanging in there. If you are struggling, obviously, wish you knew the best today. Got a good show today. Obviously, going to talk about Aaron Rodgers' press conference. One of the probably best press conferences, right, that you'll ever see in terms of all the things that were said. We will kind of talk about what Rodgers got right, what Rodgers got wrong, um, and go through it all and kind of see where is what's next, right? What's next after this? What is How does this timeline play out? We will then talk about the Brewers getting Eduardo Escobar and why that is a move for the Brewers to contend for a World Series. And lastly, we will talk about if any of the draft picks for the NBA tonight could make a difference in terms of who the Bucks are competing with in the Eastern Conference. But we obviously start with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, how can you not, right? nothing would supersede Aaron Rodgers. Honestly, I I don't know if there is a sports story out there that would supersede what went on with Aaron Rodgers. Maybe Giannis retiring. (laughs) Giannis being like, I'm done. I'm going to go to Mykonos and just hang out for the rest of my life and just chill. That, I guess, would maybe supersede what we saw with Aaron Rodgers and the press conference yesterday. Aaron Rodgers stood up to the podium and basically let it all hang out. Like Aaron Rodgers used it as a therapy session. I don't blame him for that. I don't blame him for wanting to use it as a therapy session, but that is, that is exactly what he did. He basically told everybody what was on his mind and how he was feeling and why we got to this point and what all happened this off season. And I think we have a pretty good understanding as to why the organization and Rodgers are currently at odds. I don't think it is better. I know Rodgers has said that there was a cooling off period, that they've kind of worked on some things and worked on some provisions. But I do think that Rodgers and the organization don't really like each other. Um, I, I think that it's more Rodgers versus the organization than it is the organization versus Rodgers. Um, if you had to give the TLDR, like if someone was like, I don't want to read through everything, Charlie. I just want you to give me the TikTok summarization of the press conference. I would say the Packers are trying to buck the player empowerment movement. The Packers are trying to basically say player empowerment does not exist within the, the hollow halls of Lambeau Field, that, that we are not going to do player empowerment, that we are going to be the Green Bay Packers and we are going to run our franchise. Now, that to me is something we do not see much in 2021. In 2021, the player is always right. The athlete is always right. Whether or not you agree with what Simone Biles did, everybody believes that she is right. You cannot say that she was wrong. We don't allow for the athletes to be wrong these days. That that doesn't exist. And I know it's a lot different than what's going on with Aaron Rodgers. So I won't I will not go into that rabbit hole. But I, I do think that player empowerment has never been greater. I have seen it kind of lessen. And I know, I think a lot of people used the Bucks championship, weirdly enough, as sort of the buck of the player empowerment because James Harden got his way. James Harden got traded to Brooklyn. 
And then they didn't win a championship. The team that won the championship was a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo who stuck around with the team that drafted him. Now with Aaron Rodgers, it is entirely different. It is different, but Rodgers wants to be empowered and the Packers are basically telling him to fuck off. And how should we feel about that as Packer fans? Well, I think it's a conflicted opinion, right? Like I hate to be on the fence, but it's really hard to just say, hey, Aaron Rodgers was 100% right. And also say, hey, Aaron Rodgers was 100% wrong. And I know that the hot take artists, the Skip Baylesses, the Colin Cowherds will have those takes. Because that's what they do. It's how they make their money. Mike Florio too, who Gianon, one of the just awful nicknames. It's so funny that, whatever, I'm not even going to go there with Mike Florio. I just, he drives me crazy right now. Uh, Mike can't admit that he was fucking wrong about a lot of this stuff. And that's just, he has to own that and he doesn't. But regardless, everybody will have a take who is in that business because that is good for the business. But for me, and probably this is why I'm not like, you know, doing doing more and this is not my full-time job, I can't sit here and tell you that I agree with everything or I disagree with everything because it's just not true, right? And we can go through some of it and I can tell you like, yeah, this I think is right or I think this is this is wrong. You know, and James Palmer, shout out to him. He did a great job in terms of basically transcribing Tom Pelissario, asking Aaron Rodgers, like, is this all about you, basically? And Palmer did an awesome job sort of giving the entire thing and breaking it down. And Rodgers, first thing that he opened up with was he was unhappy with basically the organization letting ongoing veterans leave, outgoing veterans, excuse me. And he he listed a bunch of guys like Charles Woodson, Jordy Nelson, Julius Peppers, Clay Matthews, Randall Cobb, now back, James Jones, uh, John Kuhn, Brett Good, TJ Lang, Brian Bulaga, and Casey Hayward. Actually, Micah Hyde was the last one. We're going to do an extensive study on those guys, and we're going to see... Were the Packers right or wrong to get rid of some of those guys? Some of them are obvious. Some of them are unknown, such as like a Bulaga, for example. But while Rodgers obviously wants veterans to stay, that hasn't really been the Packer way. It's been the draft and develop. And the hit rate for Green Bay of, yeah, we were right, is pretty good with those guys. If you look at that list of players, it's like how many impacted teams after the fact? Not many. So Rodgers, while some may hold water, I think listing everyone was actually a, a kind of a detriment against him. Because if anything, it speaks to how the Packers stayed successful. They didn't let their team get old. They didn't let their team become a bunch of fossils and say, all right, now it's now we have to move on from these guys. Now we have to draft and replace. They kind of were ahead of schedule and let veterans leave. Now some, yeah, they lowballed. Some they you know could have at least done a little bit more with, but that has sort of been the Packer mantra since Ron Wolf. This isn't just a Ted Thompson thing. This isn't a Brian Gunacus thing. And by the way, Gunacus only had, I think, two of those guys. 
So a lot of this was taking just like posthumous shots at Ted Thompson. I know Rogers has pra- praised Ted Thompson, but it's like Ted's fucking dead. Like you can't, like that's tough, right? Like Ted can't defend himself, and I, I feel bad about that. I feel bad that you can't have Ted Thompson say, look, this is why we did it. Now, Gutekunst meeting with the media again today. I'll be curious to hear what Brian has to say if he's like, yeah, you know, Rogers, this is, we're, we're in a good relationship. He called a professional. It's how I take it. We are going to try to at least do a little bit more and work on that relationship. And how do we sort of form a stronger bond? So, yes, Aaron Rodgers not entirely accurate there were a few things but i kind of understand and in saying not given the respect and this is the difference between players and front office and why that they're never going to agree and why sometimes players make shitty fucking front office people is because there is this respect thing and there is this one to do right by them and sometimes you have to be cutthroat And unfortunately, players can't understand that because they are, they're brothers, they're, they're together, they're strong, they're united. And they don't understand that how a front office can kind of just be like, yeah, we don't want you anymore. You see, you saw this a lot. If you, if you, and this is a kind of an obscure reference, kind of not, but Ryan Rossillo would do podcasts with Chris Long every Monday. He didn't do it last year because of Chris Long now his own thing, but it was two years ago. And the amount of times that Chris Long would defend players, it was like 9.5 out of 10 that he would defend the player. But that's that's just the brotherhood, right? And so I see this a lot with Aaron Rodgers. And so I'm not necessarily saying Aaron Rodgers got this entirely wrong. It's just his POV of it is so different than what the Packers front office is trying to do on a day-to-day year-to-year basis and they are looking more into the future and so Rogers obviously brings up he doesn't want to be a lame duck he sees the writing on the wall he believes that Jordan Love will be the starter in 2022 he didn't say that I'm not putting words in his mouth but that is what he's inferring and that was something that if you've listened to this podcast pretty much since the start of the Rogers drama That is what I've been talking about. I've been talking about the lame duck stuff. And I've been saying he literally saw all of his friends, the guys he just mentioned, go out the door and he does not want to repeat that. He does not want to have this swan song. He wants to end his career the way he wants to, not the way the Packers want to. Again, in that player empowerment vein. Is he right? Does he deserve that? Probably, I think he does. And he's like, I came off an MVP year. But as some have pointed out, like, are we not going to talk about 2017 through 2019? Where we didn't really know what quarterback Aaron Rodgers was. I mean, remember, and it was ridiculous. I'll, I'll give, I'll caveat before I say what I'll say. But remember, there were writers who had Rodgers out of the top 10 quarterbacks Heading into 2020, Aaron Rodgers' stock in 2020 had never been lower. People had never, people were kind of ready to kind of give up on Aaron Rodgers. And yet he rose above it all because he kind of 
committed himself back to work because he was fucking pissed off. And good for him. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But he needed the fire lit under his ass. Are you, are we convinced? Let, let's just ask ourselves this question. If Jordan Love doesn't get drafted, does Aaron Rodgers win the 2020 MVP? I think that's the question you have to ask yourself. You have to really look hard. It's it's entirely subjective, okay? Like it is totally your opinion. But you it it requires at least a little bit of thought behind it, right? Like are we sure? Are we sure that Aaron Rodgers is going to be like as good of a player next year, this last year? If Jordan Love isn't sitting there waiting his turn, I don't know. I, I really don't. Like, I, I can't explain to you how bad it was for Rodgers from 17 to 19. He talks about how he wasn't consulted on Matt LaFleur. And he he expressed, like, I, I really like Matt LaFleur. And honestly, and well, I want to get to Matt LaFleur in a second here. I think Matt LaFleur played a huge role in bringing back Aaron Rodgers. So, but, I, but let's. Let's not let's not let's stay on this MVP thing for a second. So Rogers admitted, like, I wasn't consulted on Matt LaFleur. Nor should he have been. He shouldn't have had a fucking choice. Aaron Rodgers, that's I'm sorry. Like, that's not his decision to make. He's gonna be around for three or four years. They hope that the next coach of the Green Bay Packers can be there for 20, 30, fuck. You know? They want him there for a while. They don't just want him there for Aaron Rodgers' tenure. And then start all over completely, right? That's not what winning franchises do. They just don't do that. So what's to say if Jordan Love did not get drafted that Aaron Rodgers is kind of like, yeah, fuck this guy. He's just, uh, he's like a younger McCarthy. I don't really want to work this hard. Are, are we like convinced that Aaron Rodgers would have put his nose to the, the grindstone and got basically back to what he used to be? What we saw in 2020, are we are we convinced of that? Because I'm not. I, I mean, I, I just that I'm I'm not, and that to me is a huge question that I wish one of the media members would have asked. Do you think you would have been back at your MVP level had the Packers not drafted Jordan Love? I would have been really curious to hear. He would have probably because he's a cocky and confident guy. He would have said yes, but. Still, I don't know if, how accurate that actually is. Other Roger stuff, the free agent destination thing, that's a bad look. That to me is, I will give him a lot of credit there. I, I think that that is a awful look by the Green Bay Packers. I think not using Aaron Rodgers as a recruiting source is just ridiculous. That, to me, is something they should have done. And that is a major miss by Brian Gunacus, by Ted Thompson. If, to, if this goes all the way back to Ted, you have to use your best talent to try to bring people in. As Roger said, Green Bay is not a vacation destination. Tough look for the city of Green Bay. He is right, though. And we talk about it all the time. We, we've talked about it when they miss out on free agents. We're like, it is really hard to get free agents to come to Green Bay, Wisconsin. That's something we've talked about on this podcast a thousand times. And not using Aaron Rodgers there is a complete fucking mess. It is an absolute miss by the Green Bay Packers. 
and I, I just that that one st- stuck with me, and I think well, I'll be curious to hear what Brian Gunacus has to say. Um, but that to me is is something that definitely should be worth noting, and something that may be changing if Rogers does stay along. The only, I guess, if I wanted to defend the organization, which I'm, so I'm not wanting to carry the water entirely. If we had to guess the organization's POV, I think they would say, well, we wouldn't want to put in a situation where Rodgers is recruiting somebody and we don't want him. Like, and, and that's not a guy that we're c- kind of going after. Like, that's to me the last thing we want. But I guess the organization could have had a system where they're like, all right. We're going, we, these are the guys we want, Aaron. Can you reach out to them? Just place a phone call, see how they're feeling about going to Green Bay. Talk about why you like Green Bay. And then we'll go in there. Like you could have created a chain of command that basically used Aaron Rodgers as a recruiter. Not necessarily Aaron Rodgers suggesting that somebody should come to Green Bay. So the high number of draft picks and Aaron Rodgers, like I've sent that along with athletes first. Again, that a little in between on that. I will say should have been considered. Maybe more of that is you just have to be a professional. You don't maybe need to take Aaron Rodgers' advice, but you're like, oh, that's really interesting. Like, here's what we think about him. And and give like Rodgers their perspective. Like, I, I don't know who's all part of athletes first, but let's just take Justin Jefferson, for example. Justin Jefferson obviously was drafted before the Packers could get to him. There's, they could do a thing where, and it, you see this in business all the time when you're trying to be professional with a partner and someone comes up to you and says, ah, may, why aren't you taking this advice? Like I, I sent this to you, what do you think about Jefferson? And you can just send to him like, here's, here's our draft profile. Here's what we think of Justin Jefferson. Would we draft Justin Jefferson? We'll see if he's there. I don't know if he's gonna make it to us in, at 29, but he's on our board. And like, at least then, Rodgers feels like he's getting listened to. And I think that was part of the, the problem and what Green Bay might have gotten wrong. They didn't at least listen to Aaron Rodgers. They don't have to take his advice, right? But they, they didn't, so maybe listen's even the wrong word. They didn't acknowledge Aaron Rodgers. They didn't just say to him like, hey, look, man, I appreciate this. Hey, could you reach out to this free agent? Like, we we want him. Manuel Sanders, I think, is a great example, right? And I know Manuel Sanders is bouncing around teams, and coincidentally enough, now he's on Buffalo after he said it was too cold to play in Green Bay. I don't know the difference between Buffalo and Green Bay, but here we are. And they could have said to Emmanuel, like, to Rogers, hey, can you place a call to Emmanuel Sanders? He's like kind of wavering. He's talking about it's too cold to play here. Could you maybe at least just reach out and see what Emmanuel Sanders thinks about playing here and talk about how you'd like to play with him? And if Rogers like, well, I don't want to play with him, <laughs> then it's like, well, we tried. But uh, no, I, I think that Rogers definitely deserved a little bit more of that. The Green Bay throwing money at Rogers in after the two months post the draft that to me it was driven by Matt LaFleur I think here's what I think happened if you if you want my honest opinion and where I think that this how we've gotten to this point Green Bay basically allowed this cooling off period maybe they talked about some trades maybe they didn't 
in the first two months of the offseason and since we knew Aaron Rodgers was quote-unquote unhappy. And then Matt LaFleur got involved. And Matt LaFleur started talking to Brian Gunacus and Mark Murphy. And they're supposedly a team. And LaFleur was like, look, I need Rodgers back. Jordan isn't ready. We had a plan. I can't go on without Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron bought in entirely to my plan. And I think he'll buy in again this year. And I think we can win a Super Bowl. So do whatever you fucking can to bring back my quarterback. Because that's what I want. And if you don't, we're going to have some real issues. And I think Matt LaFleur pushed the pedal here. And I think Matt LaFleur is a major silent player in all of this. We don't hear Matt LaFleur's name being mentioned in the media. Rogers mentions just the coaching hire itself. But I think Matt LaFleur played a role. And Green Bay throwing money at a problem is dumb. That, that never works. To just throw money and say, go away, is never a solution for getting something done. It never seems to actually work. So they should have tried to reconcile with Rodgers and say, what is the matter? What can we do? How can we fix this? And then worked on next steps and said, look, we're going to have to kind of keep you in this lame duck status because we don't know what Jordan Love is. And if we can't trade Jordan Love, then we just would like to keep you at this level. And, and I don't know, maybe they just wanted to keep their options open. But still, throwing money just looks bad. So, uh, again, that's a mark against the organization. I've went way long on this. But it, it's here's the thing. It, it's one of the biggest stories of the last... Really, I mean, it's Giannis and this is the bit are the two big stories in the state of Wisconsin for the last, shall we say, weeks, months, year, uh, because it, it's just so impactful overall. We'll hear from Brian Gutekunst today. We'll be interested to see what he says. But after that, we need to just start playing football. I said that in my review a couple days ago. Snow Tap WI can follow. Going to be tabbing the keg here uh, this weekend. We're going to flip the switch. Up, I, maybe tonight. Tonight might be the day where we uh, we flip the switch. I, I think I have some free time. Got a lot of wedding stuff. We're under a month now uh, until my wedding, which is exciting, but also very stressful. And I said, look, cut through the bullshit and let's just play football. I said that in a blog post today too. Let's just play fucking football. And that's where I'm at at this point. I don't care about anything else. It's over. Rodgers gave his opinions. I think some of it was right. I think some of it was wrong. But it is now time to play football. And yes, is team chemistry going to be a problem? It might be. I think Aaron Rodgers, another thing he was wrong about, uh, just really quickly, the Jake Kumaro stuff and basically trashing Alan Lazard and MVS was fucking weak. And I hope Rodgers reaches out to both those guys. And he probably will. He's a professional, right? And say, look, at that point, Jake was performing better than you guys. You guys have been great. I've really enjoyed playing with you. I trust both of you. But at that point, I was really a part of the Jake Kumaro train. And now I will say to Rogers, I, I think a great follow-up would have been, well, why isn't Jake Kumaro succeeding elsewhere? No one, no one seemed to ask Aaron Rodgers that. Because that, that would be my 
question for him. But like I said, it's over and done with. We got it all out. It's out there. We know people are going to have their hot takes forever and ever. And as I said, and I've been banging this drum for a while now, there is a reason why all four networks have the Green Bay Packers in the first four weeks. Because this story is too good. It's too juicy. So until October 2nd, when CBS has the Packers-Steeler game, and CBS will be the last network to cover the the Packers in those four weeks, this thing will finally die. We just need to ride it out, play football, and win, win games. All right, let's move on to some other topics. Moving on to Eduardo Escobar coming to the Milwaukee Brewers. That is such a big move for the Milwaukee Brewers. They make their splash. Now, I don't know if it is splash. I, I kind of hate the word splash in the deadlines because it's like, what's, what is a splash? Is a splash a Cy Young? Like, CC Sabathia was a splash, right? Zach Granke, not in the deadline, uh, in the offseason, was a splash move. Eduardo Escobar is a rental, but he's a guy that was highly coveted. And again, the Milwaukee Brewers, and David Stearns does this shit all the time, just kind of hung out under the radar, having conversations, and we're like, oh, hey, what do you guys think about Cooper Hummel, and I forget the other guy's name, for Eduardo Escobar? You guys interested in that? Can we do that deal? Okay, great. Let's get the deal done. And Eduardo Escobar, now a part of the Milwaukee Brewers. He will be joining the team when they are in Atlanta um, on Friday. And likely, Eduardo Escobar will be taking over the third base position. Now, some might say, well, Charlie, isn't third base a position of strength? Kind of, sort of, right? Like, Luis Urias has been really good this year. I think Luis Urias has defied expectations. I think if you go back to some of the earlier podcasts in the Brewer season, I was very down on Urias. I mean, I was, I couldn't believe that the the Brewers were trying to solve their shortstop problem by trading again. I was really wrong about uh, Willie Adamas. I was. I, I, it's not that I didn't believe in Willie Adamas. It was more that I just was like, they're trying to basically figure out their shortstop position and they can't seem to figure it out. And this is another guy that they're they're just giving away dudes to try to make the shortstop position happen. Now, David Stearns rubbed that in my face, gave me a stole cone stunner and poured beer all over me uh, because Willie Adamas has been amazing, right? And now you have Urias, who's a third baseman. And I, I just think what they're going to use him as is a super utility. Craig Council, as my dad likes to call him, is the alchemist. And Craig Council loves to do different shit. And I think that is what we're going to see from the Brewers manager. I think you will see Eduardo Escobar at third base. I think you will see Eduardo Escobar at first base, as Will Salmon pointed out in his piece for The Athletic, in that they're going to get Escobar ramped up for first base, and he's going to do that against lefties when, you know, for Rowdy Telez and if Dan Vogelbach comes back. Although, I don't know if Dan Vogelbach has a roster spot on this team anymore. Same goes with Travis Shaw. I, you got to raise a lot of questions about both Shaw and Vogelbach, but that's another story for another time. But Eduardo Escobar is going to probably play maybe a little shortstop. He's going to play maybe a little second base. He's played some outfield. That, to me, is Council's wet dream. 
Like, this is Hernan Perez on super steroids. Because this guy has 22 home runs. He is a switch hitter that hits from both sides of the plate. It's basically like getting Jose Ramirez. Not necessarily better, because Jose Ramirez has an awesome contract. And I think Jose Ramirez would be a coup for anybody. But it's like getting Jose Ramirez, except it's not the massive contract. And you didn't have to give the massive haul up. You just had to give two prospects who are all right. That's it. And so that to me is a huge win for the Milwaukee Brewers and allows Craig Council to sort of continue to tinker with his lineups and get the best available guys. And Eduardo Escobar probably is your sixth hitter. I'll be curious to see where they place him because Urias is hits sixth. Will you go with Escobar at the five spot? I'm trying to think here. Let's look at the Brewer lineup and see what, what it was yesterday. Yesterday might not be indicative because you didn't have Christian Yalich. So, and he does like to do a lot of lefty, righty type shit. So right now it's Wong, Adamas, Narvaez, Garcia, Tellis, Urias, Kane. So I guess you would say it's Wong, maybe Yelich, or Wong, Adamas, Yelich, Narvaez, Garcia, then Escobar, and then Kane. And, or maybe Escobar, Kane, then Tellis and maybe move Rowdy down to seven. I mean, but that's that's a fucking order right there. That basically means that one through seven, and if you have Tyrone Taylor playing over Jackie Bradley Jr., you have eight guys that can really strike the ball. And that to me is is alluring at best. Like that that says a lot about this team. That they could basically be one through eight and have all eight guys be home run threats, be two hit, three hit threats each night out. And that to me signals why this team is built for a deep October run. And adding a guy like Escobar only helps. Urias is good. He's just not, he, he's not great. And he, he's made some defensive mistakes. And now this gives Urias maybe a little more time to just not necessarily the everyday grind and he's a young guy right and i think they you know council will probably go to him and say look we needed to upgrade our team it's nothing against you you're gonna play a lot we're gonna get you out there whether it's shortstop whether it's second base whether it's third base we're gonna not we're not gonna want to play all of our guys every night sure they might be battling for the number one seed but here's kind of a hot take and a, a definitely a podcast topic we can talk about maybe next week when the Giants come to town. Do the Brewers really want the one seed? Like, I know that it's home field in the NL, the NLCS, but guess what you have to do if you win, if you, you are the best team in baseball in the National League? You got to play the Dodgers or Padres in a, in a five-game series. Why would you want to do that? In a lot of ways, you just want to play the Mets or whoever comes out of the NL East. The Mets are good, don't get me wrong. I mean, you have to deal with Jacob DeGrom twice probably in a five-game series. That's not fun. But the Brewers basically beat Jacob DeGrom if it's not for a Josh Hader blown save. So they figured him out. Nah, I wouldn't say that. That's me. A little strong. But do you really want that, that one seed? So if you don't want that one seed, you kind of just want to be like a guy... And it, it, it fits the Brewers. They're not exactly there yet because they're only seven up and a lot can happen and we're still two months away. But the Brewers are like a 
golfer who ha- has like an eight or nine stroke lead heading into the final day of the tournament. And in that final day, that, ter- that golfer doesn't want to do anything crazy. He just wants to make sure that he's even par the entire day and doesn't give anything back and sort of just stays the course. And that to me might be the Brewer mantra because I don't know if you want the one seed. So we'll talk about that. That that to me is a really good topic. We'll save that one uh, for next week. I guarantee you, I'll forget. But we'll we'll try to we'll try to remember. But I'm happy as hell that Eduardo Escobar is with the Milwaukee Brewers. All right, wrapping it up with the NBA draft. So I, I want to do this at the end because the draft's tonight. So obviously, if you listen late, you you can definitely you know skip over this because you know either it's happened or it hasn't. I was kind of, I wanted to do a topic of like guys who like would scare me if they're on one of the Eastern contenders, but I thought about it and I was like, all right, no, these are all guys I want on the Bucks. Like I, guys that talk about like Cameron Thomas, Miles McBride, uh, Io DeSumo, like those are all guys that I've talked about on the Bucks roster. So is it really going to be anything different than what I did yesterday? Probably not. But I do at least want to talk about the Raptors. The Raptors, to me, fascinate me. And I think we as Bucks fans are always going to be a little scared of the Raptors, right? The Raptors knocked us out. We were up 2-0. And the Raptors just went crazy. And, and Nick Nurse coached the shit out of Mike Budenholzer in that series. And I think a lot of the Fire Bud stuff started with that series. Because Bud kind of crumbled. And I think Bud learned a lot from that series. You could probably ask him and he'd say that, right? And I think people discredit what the Raptors were. They were an incredible team. And now they have a chance to either draft Jalen Suggs or Evan Mobley. And I think either one is pretty shitty for the Bucks. That the Raptors' impact of what the Raptors could be for the next 5 to 10 years could be a lot of trouble in talking with some people who know things like Jalen Suggs with Nick Nurse would be a slam dunk. It would be an it would be almost unfair to have Suggs and Nick Nurse together. It seems like a real problem. Seems like a real issue, and yet that seems where we're headed. And then they can get rid of Kyle Lowry, and who knows what that package looks like. And then they say, all right, we're going to keep Pascal Siakam. We have Fred Van Vliet locked up. Probably overpaid Fred Van Vliet, by the way. Chris Boucher, I don't understand why he's not a starter, but he, to me, seems like a starter in the NBA. And then you look at this Raptors team and you're like, yeah, they're young. They're not necessarily, they might need a couple veterans on there, but they, to me, seem like a team that should be a top four Eastern Conference contender and a team that you probably have to at least worry about a little bit. So I guess the point I'm making is Jalen Suggs, with the Raptors worries me. And it worries me that it just adds another team to think about. And I think that that is the fundamental thought you have after winning a championship, right? How is the path to repeat? Basically adding Jalen Suggs to the Raptors, assuming Kyle Lowry leaves, assuming they keep Pascal Siakam, which I think they will, it basically adds another contender for the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't think the Raptors could win a title with that team, but I, I do think that they would be a very pesky out because of Nick Nurse. 
Nick Nurse is a great coach. It's just, it's kind of heat-esque. And I know the Heat were a walkthrough, but I think people overvalued the Heat all season and overvalued what the Heat did the year prior. And yes, the Heat could easily be right back where they were uh, two years ago if they you know make some moves. You can never discount the Miami Heat to make some major, major moves. But I do think that Jalen Suggs can make the Raptors into a top four Certainly top six team. I, I wouldn't say like a top two. I'm not going to go that far. But I am really high on Jalen Suggs. I just think that there is not the... There's not enough love for Jalen Suggs. There just isn't. I, I think Jalen Suggs is going to be arguably the best player in this draft. I, I would not be surprised at all. Now as for Evan Mobley... I don't think the Raptors are going to get Evan Mobley, but I'd be really curious. The Cavs kind of, there's not really a direction with Cleveland. No one really knows what Cleveland's end game is. It's like the White House and their COVID strategy. No one knows what the finish line is. No one knows that for, for the Cavs. No one gets it. So for that to that point, What's to say the Raptors, who just saw what Giannis Antetokounmpo did in, in the postseason, say, all right, why can't we get our version of Giannis? Is Masai going to make that move? And if he does, while I don't think that will make the Raptors into that top four, like I think Suggs vaults them into another stratosphere, you worry about the Raptors as a long-term threat with Evan Mobley. Because Evan Mobley, I don't think can be Giannis. The comparison's out there, right? But I do think that Evan Mobley has some Giannis tendencies and is the type of guy that has shown teams to win a championship. All right, that does it for our show. Have a great day. We'll be back tomorrow. Take care, Tappers. Bye.